0: Hello, and welcome to Dismantle Racism. I'm your host, the Reverend Dr. TLC. And our goal at this show is to help you uncover, dismantle, and eradicate racism. And the reason why we say that we want to help you to uncover it because you can't dismantle what you don't know. And so I'm really excited today because we're going to be taking a look at all the ways in which we think about what the government is doing on a state level, level, or even a federal level, or even what people are saying that they're doing on their uh, in their businesses or nonprofits, we're going to take a look at what exactly is happening when probably when people say that they're throwing money into a particular project. How is it helping people? Is it really serving people? We know that there have been a lot of changes to happen over the last few decades, and we know that there's been a lot of advocacy, especially since 2020. But what is really happening? How meaningful is it when we throw money at a situation? How meaningful is it when we design projects, when we design programs? Are they really helping the people that we believe that they are helping? So we're gonna get into that conversation today. But before we do, we're going to begin the show as we always do, and we're gonna take a moment to find our breath and to center ourselves. So whatever you're doing, I wanna ask you to pause and just put your feet solidly on the floor and take a moment just to find your breath and to tune into that which gives you life take a moment to connect with your divine wisdom your sacred intelligence which is that part of you that directs your life so that you can make intelligent choices. Breathe in the knowledge that these choices manifest your greatness while helping others to manifest their greatness. So as you breathe in and out, remind yourself that you are loved and you are love itself. Breathe in and out, the knowledge that you are a part of a shared humanity and you carry within you the power to heal and the power to change the status quo. Breathe in and out. Acknowledging the power of one contributes to the power of community. I'll take a deep breath in sigh it out and let's begin i am so excited today as i always am with the guests i have on the show because today's guest is really going to be talking about the historical and the current role of the us government in gaslighting and in performative gestures, as I said before, that mislead us into thinking that true progress has been made. My guest today is Tanisha Arena. She is a community leader, and she is the executive director of Arise for Social Justice. She is also a commissioner on the Massachusetts Commission on the Status of Women, She's an advocate, an advocate, an advocate. She has boots on the ground. She's in there and she understands what the issues are for uh, our communities. And she is also the host of the award-winning podcast, Unapologetic, bringing the hard truths of social justice to the forefront. I want to welcome today Tanisha Arena, I am so delighted to
1: have you on the show. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Thank you. It's a uh, it's a pleasure to be here uh, and talk to your audience today about all the things that are going on and you know their connection you know to the past because past is present.
0: Exactly, exactly. It's 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 like that Sankofa moment, like right with, with Sankofa, where you have to go back and retrieve little kernels and treasures from the past in order to help us to grow into our present uh, greatness, really. And so before we get into that, because I know you've been involved in this work a long time, and you have lots to share with us. I always start out by asking my guests this question around what grounds you, especially when you're involved in this work, it can just strip you of everything if you're not careful. And so how do you remain steady and committed in doing this work, you know, taking care of yourself, grounding you
1: in something that moves you forward? <laughs> um, believe it or not, I'm actually uh, someone who considers themselves a bit newer to self-care and grounding and things like that. Um, because doing this work, it almost feels like what other choice is there? Like this is, I lived this life in this, this Black body um as a a black lesbian woman so i don't have the privilege of opting out um but what i have learned is to find more of the things that cultivate gratitude and joy in my life and knowing that as black people we deserve to have joy rest uh to take care of ourselves and not just when we're going through it so i actually like playing in the dirt um Mm -hmm. i been gardening for a couple of years i'm hoping to have better success this year um and it's also that connection to the earth um being intentional about taking my shoes off and yes. letting my feet feel the grass um i have plants in my house and i, I recently named them and i touch the leaves again things that are alive mm-hmm. that's important um, i meditate uh, every morning and that's the starting place so I really appreciate how this has started, you know, with taking the slow, deep breaths and grounding yourself. And that's been really important. in the mornings where I haven't had a chance to meditate, the day tends to look a heck of a lot different. So I see the importance. And it's also, we need that time for ourselves mm-hmm. instead of just jumping mm-hmm. into the day. And there's so many things that are going to take things out of us. Yes. Um, I am a runner. I feel like I can say that now I've been running for about a year and it's the mental and physical challenges and also like getting out that stress of Mm -hmm. doing this work of experiencing, you know, the gaslighting that comes with white supremacy and racism. Mm
2: -hmm. Like literally
1: I'm running it out because where else is it going to go? And we can't have those things stored up in our bodies and to get that mental and physical challenge. And then that's how I can show up strong the next day. Mm -hmm. And I just became a grandmother twice over, so the little baby faces—it doesn't—it doesn't, it doesn't <laughs> hurt. Um, if anything, it's given me a renewed sense of purpose, like why I have to do this. I have a granddaughter and I have a grandson, mm-hmm. and this has to be different. Like right. does. It, it's like it, it just can't. Like it it just can't.
3: So uh,
0: so I want to just say something about, I so appreciate your honesty with saying that I haven't always taken the time for myself, because I think that that's actually a mistake that Black people and other people of color make, because you started by saying, I don't get to opt out, and you don't get to opt out necessarily of the experiences that you're having, because people are going to show up, they're going to treat you the way that they're going to treat you no matter what but the privilege that we do have that our ancestors didn't have since we're talking a little bit about mm-hmm. history they didn't have the option of when they wanted to sit down and take time for themselves
1: that's right
0: because they had to for instance have a baby and be back out in the field in the same day right right you know people don't really think about the trauma that they went through but because this is mental health awareness month mm-hmm. I want to be really intentional also about saying, for those of us who are involved in this work, we need to replenish and to refill our psychological wells in our lives in order to do this work. So I love it, love it, love it that you are being intentional about that, being intentional about connecting with our our Earth Mother, right, you know, being uh, with with our source, our creation, And yes, you are a runner. I'm not one, but I can appreciate that. Uh, So thank you. I wanna thank you for taking care of yourself because we need you. We really, really need you to be out here and doing the work because we're all called at different levels and it seems that this is your passion. So I wanna jump right into it and hear about the work that you're doing. So I said to our audience that you are the executive director of Arise. Tell us what Arise is and who you serve.
1: Well, Arise is a grassroots nonprofit. And I guess I have to put an asterisk. It's a growing grassroots nonprofit that has always focused on the rights of poor and low income folks. And that's across housing and economic justice, homelessness, uh, environmental justice, criminal justice, and I spend a lot of time talking about the racial justice, the white supremacy and racism, that is the underbelly of the aforementioned things. Like that's, that's how we got there. And it's like, there's been the evolution of this organization that started out by four single moms on welfare, who were navigating like, do I leave college, which is a space where I could better myself and not need welfare, but then I'm gonna lose my welfare benefits. And being at that place and knowing this kept them barely above poverty, it it wasn't, you know, making any radical changes in their lives. And, you know, they organized around that and then had some changes in Massachusetts. And then it evolved to a poor and low income rights organization. And now here we are at this juncture. And it's the evolution where I would say we're talking about human rights, Mm -hmm. right? Or or specifically the civil rights that are that are being gutted, like in front of our eyes, because it's in that place, right? If Mm. we look at our country at its core, Right. White supremacy is rooted in anti-blackness. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. Ooh, she said the thing. Yeah. Oh, well, of
0: course, of <laughs> course. And, and but but here's the thing, too, that I want to say around white supremacy, because if we're really talking about history and this is why it's important for us to know our history,
1: mm-hmm.
0: white supremacy has always been around making certain white folks wealthy. So we don't we don't want to skirt over that either, because, you know, people often think there were there were white people who were indentured servants. There were white people who actually had to prove that they were white. If we go back and look at history, there are people who had to prove that they were white. So it's still white supremacy, but it's Mm -hmm. white for certain types of folks. And that's why we all need to be concerned about this conversation. And our country is built on a foundation of supremacy and oppression and to keep certain folks down. And and I believe with your organization, with Arise, as you're talking about social justice, like you said, you're talking about social justice for all, but you're getting to the root of that racism is a big part of that. Mm -hmm. So, you know, Tanisha, we jumped right into it. And of course it's time for us to take a break in just a few seconds. So when we come back from the break, I want to hear you talk a little bit more about uh, the work that you're doing, because you said a lot in, in that with how things are tied into and I love your example about welfare. So if you could give us a little bit more in terms of examples of history when we come back and how it's tied into social justice and white supremacy i would love to hear that we are going to take a quick break this is the dismantle racism show i'm your host the reverend dr tlc we'll be right back
4: are you a business owner do you want to be a business owner do you work with business owners hi i'm stephen fry your small and medium-sized business or smb guy and i'm the host of the new show always friday
0: back with the Dismantle Racism show. My guest today is Tanisha Arena, who is the executive director of Arise. Uh, She is a true, true advocate of social justice out there, you know, boots on the ground, as they say. And so I'm delighted to have you with here. And I want to thank you again, because I know how busy your schedule is for joining us. Before the break, Tanisha, you talked with us about the history of white supremacy and how it actually impacts our programs today. So can you talk a little bit more and give us a little bit more examples of how history influences our programs? And it makes us feel like we're, we're making progress, but we're not actually making progress. Right?
1: It's the trickery. Um, so I I think some of the more radical things that I'll say, or maybe they're really not radical, is that the United States runs on smoke and mirrors and racism. Um, and it's keeping the things hidden, but it's it cycles around again. Like past really is present and the things that go on and the way that they go on and how it's structured. So in terms of the work at Arise, when we talk about the past, like okay, so looking at welfare rights and the impact in community. That was one thing. And something that's current, but also connected to the past, there was this fight that's still kind of going on about biomass. And for folks that don't know, they wanted to build a wood pellet burning biomass plant in Springfield. And Springfield is a designated environmental justice community, which means that there have already been environmental harms, right? That's environmental racism, right? They just call it something pretty. I would say Springfield is an environmental sacrifice zone because the people here can experience these harms, right? There's a school that has mold that was the basement was condemned, but students still go there. But this biomass plant would run 24 seven, which spew toxic fumes into the air because it's burning wood. And it was tried like they tried to sneak it in as clean energy. But if you burn anything, it's not clean. It's the, the process of burning and renewable because it was wood pellets and we could plant more trees.
2: Mm.
3: That's
1: really not how that works. And mm-hmm. so designated environmental justice community. More than half of the residents have asthma or some other respiratory issue. Um, We are in a valley. We have a failing air quality grade from the American Lung Association. And up till about maybe six months ago, we were the asthma capital of the country, Mm -hmm. not of the Mm -hmm. Commonwealth of the entire United States. And think about what that means to the people that live here. Mm-hmm. And you want to build a biomass plant that's going to spew pollution 24-7. Mm. Well, but who lives here? The residents are primarily black and brown.
0: Right. So I need you to just pause because you've just given us a lot of information to absorb. Mm-hmm. So tell me, how do we learn about things like that? And to know, so, so, so a bill comes forth or they, this resolution comes forth that we want to build this plant. How do people get informed about those things? And then how do they fight for those things? Because your average community person is not involved in the way that you're involved. And so these things kind of happen, you know, before we
1: know it. So tell us what to do. So well, I can tell you what happened. see what happened was <laughs> when this started. And I believe it was, let's see, we're in 2022. It was like 2009. Um, company proposed hey we want to get permits we want to build this plant so that whole process zoning city council etc and some folks got wind my predecessor and it was like wait this is also a health equity issue because air quality and things like that and then the challenges come and the people in the community like wait a minute if they build this here these are the things that are going to happen so organizing and rallying around like we don't want to have this plant here
2: uh-huh. and the
1: community said no repeatedly for 12 years because biomass only got struck down. The air quality permits got pulled mm, 20, 2021. Yeah, because mm-hmm. I remember where I was when I got the call from one of our city councilors. He's like, oh my God, did you hear? Mm-hmm. And I said, no, and they pulled the air quality permits, which really that ended the project. It was like the actual building permits had expired mm-hmm. and then no air quality permits. So you really can't build this thing.
2: Mm-hmm. But
1: again, the community had said no for all those years and Uh why wasn't this something being proposed in Granby or Belchertown or Right. right? Right, who lives there right
0: I think that these are the questions that are really critical because one of the things that happens is when people want to talk about why are why are we as people of color on welfare, or why do we have the health issues that we have not taking care of ourselves? Why all these things? Yes, we have some responsibility. So I would never say that we don't have state responsibility for some of those things. But here's what people don't know. They don't know the inherent racism that occurs that contributes to asthma, right? You know, so if you have a city where you have where they're proposing to do such things, Mm -hmm. but also where you also have a lot of other toxic stuff that's happening, of course, your rate of asthma will increase. And this actually impacts not just the folks in Springfield. Ultimately, it impacts the state and it impacts us overall, which is what people don't understand when we think about what's the cost of racism. It's not just the cost to the person of color. So I really appreciate this conversation around Mm -hmm the the um the ways in which something can appear that it is a good thing for the community when in actuality it isn't, and for people of color we've been sacrificed for years. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, of well, course we always talk about the Tuskegee incident, but it's really more than that.
1: Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, we were sacrificed from the beginning. Like that. That's just that's just how this works. Mm-hmm. I mean, if we have to tell the truth about the things that have gone on Mm -hmm. have healing come from that place and to to your point about the cost so was this plant going to be beneficial for springfield absolutely not it was going to provide lower cost energy to people in the eastern part of the state you know the Mm -hmm. waltham chatham you know like Mm -hmm. but why wouldn't they put it there right so again we're going to sacrifice black and brown people for the benefit of white people but the kicker and nobody really talked about this there was a 90 mile burn radius so that Mm -hmm. smoke was going to go 90 miles in any direction and so to someone like me i was like oh my gosh 90 miles is new york city 90 miles is all of connecticut where i'm from it's maine it's new hampshire it's vermont so i was going to draft a letter and send videos of canvassing and promotional materials that we had done and send it to all of the different city councils around
2: Mm-hmm. say hey
1: did you know that this was happening here and pretty soon we'll all be in competition for being the asthma capital because 90 miles also covers boston and did people know this and the answer was probably no and i didn't have to do that work because i got that phone call that morning but it's the consideration of it matters what's happening in the community that you don't live in because the smoke doesn't know to stay in the smoking section
0: exactly
1: hurts everyone even exactly. white people. Exactly. Because look it, had they built this plant 90 miles.
0: So I want to just ask you, Tanisha, you know, like listening to you and knowing how involved you are with the issues, but knowing how involved you are serving people. So, so you're involved with the issues so that you can help fight the issues and you're involved with, you know, the people who come into your organization. How do you sustain this momentum to keep, you know, I mentioned it before. So I we talked about the the groundedness piece, but you've got to know what's going on. I mean, this is a daily, daily journey for, for people like you who are out there. So how do you just keep going day after day to, you know, to know whose doors to knock on? Who are your supports? Like, tell me who how you surround yourself with, with the supports to...
1: Oh my gosh. I'm, I'm surrounded by an amazing staff in my office. I mean, honestly, they, they do the groundwork of things and talking to people and the canvassing and, and also like the amazing organizers and community They're like, I'm not the person that sits in the space and, you know, doesn't, you know, give credit to the the folks who are really like out there, out there, you know, it's like, I operate, I would say like, at the higher level, like I want systems and institutions. And then there are the folks who go and talk to the people. And there are amazing organizations around here, Um, Neighbor to Neighbor, Springfield No One Leaves. Um, Those are just the two that pop into my head. And it's like the organizers in these spaces and we get together and it's it's like, you know, your social life and activist life, they just kind of blend, right? So you see people at events and it's like, oh my gosh, hey, how you doing? there's that collective sharing of what's going on in community. What things have you tried? What's the next thing coming down the pike? And this is really exhausting. And are you taking care of yourself? And those are the spaces. I read a Mm. lot. Um, I listen to Urban View on satellite radio and that informs a lot of the information and just paying attention. Mm. And honestly, it feels like one day a couple of years ago I woke up and just knew stuff and I don't know how I knew stuff I just know that I know stuff and it makes sense and trying to explain it in a way that people can grasp it like all these complex things or they're complicated but not really complex because it's really simplistic it's hidden in plain sight that's the best way if you're going to hide something you know I've asked folks like do you have kids like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You ever ask them to go get you something in a room and they go in there and they're like, I don't see it. And then you go in there and it's literally right in front of their faces. That's how this system works. It's that obvious, so obvious, we're like, no. Could it? Yeah. But it and it is. Yeah. It's that obvious. Mm. People mm-hmm. who don't see it, they see it and want to close their eyes and pretend like they don't. And that's when I name it, white people. Listen, y'all can see Yeti, y'all can see Bigfoot, y'all can see the Loch Ness monster, you can see Elvis. I need you to see white supremacy.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: But you know, I want to say it's interesting. I mean, there's so much that you said in there because there's a need for white people to open their eyes to do this work on white supremacy. There's also a need for us to open our eyes because we've been hoodwinked mm-hmm. too in many instances, mm-hmm. and also sometimes it's just so painful that we are just trying to get through our day and do the right. work that we have to do. So I I'm, I'm, I know we have to take another quick uh, break here, but I wanna just say, I appreciate you honoring all the people that it takes to do this work. And one of my goals for the work that I do on dismantling racism is to get people to show up Right where you are. So, you don't have to be a Tanisha Arena and be the executive director. You don't even have to be that person who is out there. Like you said, there are these other neighborhood organizations that are involved. Some of those people are leaders, and some of those people go in to volunteer to do work uh, for those places as well. There are lots of nonprofits. But wherever you are, just start where you are and do the work. What I also value about what you're saying is that when we're ready to do this work when we open our eyes we will wake up and know we won't know everything because the truth of the matter is for me the way i look at what you're saying is creator spirit whatever you want to call it was already putting that knowledge down in you and when you woke up to it it was like bam i'm ready i got what it takes because those seeds were already planted since you're a gardener You know that those seeds were already planted deep down in there. What happened is you were ready to, you know, blossom, right? Because they were sprouting. And so I love it that you say, I woke up and I knew. And in the knowing, you knew what you had to do as well to continue the journey. And so I just want to tell our listening audience, you've been given a seed. There's a seed inside of you as well that's ready to blossom. So I hope that you're getting information from this show and and all the ways that you see injustices happening to know that you can do this work as well. We're going to pause, Tanisha, to just take a quick break again. And when we come back, I'd love to hear about your work on the Commission on the Status of Women, because I think even in talking about that, you can give us more examples of how racism is hiding in plain sight and some things that we ought to look out for. So we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. This is the Dismantle Racism Show. I'm your host, the Reverend Dr. TLC.
4: Howdy, I am Joseph Franklin McElroy, host of the new podcast, Gateway to the Smokies. It airs on talkradio.nyc every Tuesday night from 6 p.m. to 7
0: We are back with my guest today, Tanisha Arena, who is the executive director of Arise. We have been talking about a lot as it relates to history and white supremacy and how it is impacting us today. Because one of the things people need to understand is that when institutions are put in place, those institutions are built to last. They're not there just temporarily. And that's why it takes years and years and years of dismantling and uncovering systems. And so when people say, well, isn't racism over? Aren't things a lot better for people of color? I, I will be the first to admit things are a lot better relative to what our ancestors experienced. But we still have a long ways to go. And so, Tanisha, you have been sharing with us all the ways that those systems have been put into place to keep us at a certain level. And so I want to talk a bit about your work on the commission, um, you know, on the status of uh, women. Talk to us about what you do, and in particular, tell us what some of the issues are with women in general. And then if you could tell us how it might differ for people of color and for poor women, because even when we talk about poor white women, there's still race involved, race and racism involved in that. So talk to us a little bit about your work there.
1: Well, I am a fairly new commissioner, so I will say that. Um, but certainly ready to jump in and tackle the disparities, like even in a place like this, which, you know, has a mission of improving the condition of women and girls, right, and examining that across the Commonwealth. But in that examination, it's like, well, who did you ask? Representation Uh, matters more than just saying that representation matters. And having faces that look different, are you listening to what folks are saying that they need? And are you actively seeking out voices that are different than your own? There are a lot of commissioners located in the eastern part of the state uh wealthy white women maybe lower to mid-income white women and then there's the western part of the state and the demographics look entirely different and the needs of black and brown women poor black and brown women also looks really different because we're dealing with the racism too
2: Mm -hmm. that's
1: absent in that other space and to your point about poor white women right poor white folks have a totally different experience than poor black folks and we know this um, but still having that common enemy of white supremacy. But that intersection of race and class is a tough one because mm-hmm. folks will be like, but I did grow up poor and I lived in the projects and the laundry list of things. And that's true, but mm-hmm. your race has never been a barrier and you could elevate out of those conditions a heck of a lot sooner than someone who was not white. And mm-hmm. we have to name that and know it. Mm-hmm. And so on the commission, even when we're, when we're coming up with policies and practices, what things we want to advocate for, for women across the Commonwealth, it's being inclusive about that, right? There are some issues that hit all of us as, as women and girls, for example, you know, uh, having sanitary products available, you know, in the schools for girls. Yes. Right. That's okay. We all got that one, you know, mm-hmm. but then there are some of these other things like, are we instituting internal policies that are antithetical to our mission and creating barriers for women as mm-hmm. women? Attendance policies, what that looks like, knowing childcare, we're still in this pandemic. You know, how are folks navigating? If I live here in Springfield and I'm expected to make it to a meeting in Boston, well, that's the travel, the time after work. You know, am I staying overnight in Boston? Because then there's the meeting that happens at 7 that runs until 9 and I got to go home. Naming those things, Zoom as accessibility and not convenience. Right. And having folks say, I never even thought about that. Of course you didn't, because you're actually in the eastern part of the state and not having to consider driving to Western Mass. And -hmm. is that going to be an overnight adventure for you?
3: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And
1: so again, naming the different experiences and how these things show up for folks where it's like, that's not even on my purview. Mm
2: -hmm. And
1: just like that's happening on the commission, that's also happening in the bigger picture. And I feel like these organizations that are built on the same systems and institutions, they're replicating what's happening in the bigger picture.
0: Well, and what's interesting is sometimes we don't even realize how we're replicating it. Yes. Sometimes as women, we replicate patriarchy. Sometimes oh, yeah. as people of color, we replicate whiteness. You know, so it's, it's built. Here's what people need to understand. When you're born into a system, you learn how to navigate within that system. And sometimes you mimic the things of that system without thinking about it. It's the same thing we do in our families, right? You know, you grow up in your family and your mom cooks, you know, uh, I don't know, uh, grits a certain way, since I love, love, love grits. That's the way I'm going to cook those grits without right. even thinking about, it. Is there something else I could do with my grits? Other than cook them the way my mother cooked them, no, I do not use sugar. That's a no-no. We, we <laughs> don't even go there with whether we, we use sugar because that's like a crime to do that. But mm-hmm. other than that, I can learn some different ways of right. cooking my grits, right? And so it's important for us, particularly when we want to say, "Oh, oh no, I'm, I'm not born into that. I'm not born into." Uh, I'm not a racist or I'm not, I don't have whiteness. I mean, I have to tell you, this is an aside. I remember, because I've done the work around, you know, trainings, not just as a trainer, but participating. And I remember the first time a facilitator asked me to examine my whiteness, right? Mm. I said, I I don't have any whiteness because, you know, I'm like pro-Black, gone to all Black schools, you know. In, in, in high school, went to Howard University. No, 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 I don't have any whiteness. But then when you start to dig deep and you start to look at the ways that you have to navigate within a white system, there are things that are going to show up and creep up, even in the even in the ways that we think we're not, you know, mm-hmm. the ways in which we say this is the standard. This has to be the standard. Mm -hmm. is that falling back into an institution we do it as women all the time we do it in the ways in which we judge our bodies for instance and the ways in which we talk about what the body we prefer to have well that's steeped in a social construct and so i think that the things that you're talking about here are relevant in terms of for anybody if you want to open up your eyes to white supremacy into racism and how it's steeped into this society is just to begin to examine ourselves step by step and pull back the layers. That's what you're talking about. So that if you're sitting in a meeting and you're demanding something of people of color in a certain, it may be in certain areas either because let's not say we're not talk. we're not a monolith. So there might be some people of color who don't have some of the issues that you're talking about. I want to be clear about that. But then we still need to be concerned about the women who do is what I'm hearing you say, you know, right. take it all into consideration. So now I want to ask you something because one of the things you said was, you know, talking about uh, what's available to people that people can just jump on zoom or that people have the device. I think we know from COVID that that was not the case, right? Right. So talk to us about some of the differences that you saw even with our kids and what they needed to be able to have school online. And then how, what do you know in terms of just talking about how Springfield was able to provide for the welfare of our children during that time?
1: Well, covid has been a catalyst among other things and i feel like the things that we can pull out of it that are meaningful and i'll even say good like we knew that things were bad but to see the actual depth and breadth of how bad like how wide these gaps are beyond telling Mm
2: -hmm. and
1: so when we talk about technology and here comes this digital divide and realizing that not everybody has access to the internet or a computer or a tablet or like things that some of us could take for granted like, oh, yeah, I'm just going to hop on my Zoom and you know, I have all of the things that I need. Everybody didn't have that. And then it became something that was essential because of what was going on with COVID and the way that we needed to, to live and how many things are deemed essential, basic, that lots of folks can't access. And technology has become this pain point and school was on zoom and maybe your work, you know, shifted to zoom, but could you actually do that? Because now my kids aren't going to school. And I think we, again, tell the truth about situations, school in, the, in America, the United States is free daycare. Like, why did I cry when my kids went to kindergarten? Cause I didn't have to pay for daycare anymore. <laughs> and also they get educated, but that also looks different depending on where you are, but now, my kids are not going to school and they're in the house and I have to help them with their education. And that looks like a thing. And how can I help them with their education? But I also have to be on my own Zoom to do my, my own work. And that's a barrier for who? We can put that, you know, mostly women. Mm-hmm. We're having that experience. That's commission work, that's Arise work. It's uh, work in partnership with the Women's Fund. Uh, and we connect with them a lot because again, who experienced these economic hardships under COVID? Mm. And a lot of especially black and brown women lost their jobs, lost businesses, uh, industries that haven't returned jobs that haven't returned. Yeah. So that had an impact. But for our students, if you didn't have access, what did that look like? And how did Springfield try to meet that demand? Getting kids laptops, you know, making arrangements with the you know Internet providers, because what else could you do?
0: Yeah. And, and here's what's interesting.
1: You know, and the other part to that that I think is really important, not just for the students, but also for people at work, having a different experience, because we didn't talk about some kids actually thrive because they weren't in these toxic environments. Some employees thrive because they didn't have to go into that toxic work environment, getting the micro macro aggressions.
0: Mm -hmm. Now that's huge. And we actually have to take a break, but that is, I I just want to. I just want to say that's a really, really huge uh, insight to be able to say the ways in which we as people of color were able to thrive, because if we really understand what we go through and that's a that's a whole different show. But if we understand what we go through on a day to day basis, sometimes internalizing what we experience, thinking that it's us. And I'm not saying that we're perfect beings, but there's some things that we experience that we began to think, wait a minute, I'm not good enough or I'm doing this or I'm doing that based on the microaggressions mm-hmm. that we experience that actually impacts our ability to learn and to thrive. So I do appreciate you bringing that up. The other thing I want to say really quickly, because I know that you um, do have to move to break is this, is that if they were able to get laptops. the ipads for students during COVID. why were we not able to do that beforehand why were we not able to invest in our kids that's another conversation for us to have as well but these are things you know what what i like to do on this show is at least to drop the kernels to get people thinking about these things because we can't resolve everything on the show but we're going to take a quick break and we are going to be right back with my guests We're back with today's guest, Tanisha Arena. And we have been talking about ways in which we need to look at our past and understand what has happened in our past in order to make things better for us today. And we've really been talking about gaslighting. Before we go today, uh, I really would love for you, Tanisha, to give us your definition of what gaslighting is, because I want to make sure that people understand what we're talking about, and then, after you give us your definition, give us examples of how we can really begin to look and look at what's happening in the world and say, "Oh, you know what? That's an incident of gaslighting
1: hmm. Well, the definition of gaslighting it's where there are things happening that have you questioning your reality where and usually in the context of an abusive relationship where You will say, you know, you did X, Y, Z. And the person will say that never happened. Like you're, you're, you know, you're bananas. That's absurd. And you're like, wait, did that really happen? I don't, I don't know. And I feel like, while we're navigating through white supremacy and racism. There are lots of situations where you're like, did that really, did that happen? Like, I don't, and it's the myth of white supremacy that has you questioning right your your must be your personal moral failings you know that's the reason why you're not thriving and it has nothing to do with these systems and institutions and when you ask about systems and institutions or point them out it's no 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 there's no such thing there's no problem here like th- there's no racism we're in a post racial you know society hearing those things is a part of the gaslighting your uh question at the end of the last segment about you know, if we could, you know, resource our kids during COVID, why couldn't we do that before? And the answer is we can, we always could. Part of the gaslighting that I see related to COVID was like, let's take homelessness, for example. We were actually able to have people stably housed because they needed to be in the house. And I'm like, so we we did that. I'm in meetings and they're like, yeah, we got, we, we, we got everybody that, you know, that we was on the radar, everything, we, we, we did it. Okay. So then, after the fact, when it's like, well, we got to get things back to normal and, you know, we're post COVID and there's that language, we're post something again, allegedly. Mm. And it's like, well, we can't, we can't house everybody. I'm sorry, what? But we did. Yes. But that's the institutions that we're
0: talking about, right? Right. And that's They're the gaslighting people the,
1: in their place. This thing mm. really happened. We did it.
2: Mm. And now
1: you're going to tell me, we didn't, we can't, but we that thing actually happened.
2: Mm-hmm. It's about
1: the resources. And this happens on repeat in lots of spaces and places with these systems and institutions. Like I've said, white supremacy is the Windows 10 of this country. It's always mm-hmm. running. Just like if you're, you're watching this, you're streaming, your laptop is going, you're clicking all the things. You don't have to think about what Windows is doing, but Windows is doing what Windows needs to do.
0: Mm-hmm. And that, I love that
1: example. That's what it is. And if you can't catch it that way, it is high fructose corn syrup. It's in everything. And then you go looking at something else and you're like, oh, my gosh, it's in that too. It's mm-hmm. literally in everything that we do, unless mm-hmm. we're intentional about it not being there. Mm-hmm. You can pick any issue. like So I'm sitting in front of a, a poster that says our bodies, our minds, our power. How appropriate considering everything that's happening right now with the Supreme Court and the potential overturning of Roe v. Wade. And I'm not even going to say potential, the overturning. And what is that about? Mm. That is about white supremacy and racism. That is about the anti-Blackness because historically, Black women forced sterilization, offering sterilization after a pregnancy, whereas is that the situation that's happening for white women? It's about knowing that the browning of this country is happening. But this goes back to history, right? The playbook, the rules laid out by the framers, political power and wealth, would be distributed based upon total population count. That is Mm -hmm. about census. That is also about voting. It's about representation, right? And Black Mm -hmm. folks have always outnumbered white folks because Black folks were bred for labor. So in a state like South Carolina, which to this day, Blacks outnumber whites 8 to 1, if this is a numbers game and I'm white, I cannot win. So I have to cheat insert voter suppression insert gerrymandering insert the redistricting right now that's still happening where folks are trying to cut representatives in communities of color that is tied to roe v wade in the sense of it's not that we care about the babies because if you cared about the babies why don't we have policies that support women and children why are there kids in cages Mm. this is a numbers game Mm. Mm -hmm. we need white babies born Mm -hmm. Because that's how we uphold the systems and institutions.
0: And what you're saying, though, is that we all suffer as a result of that, right? Because we do know that white women suffer as a result of these rules that are put into place. Again, patriarchy and racism are so tightly. Woven together and that's what we need to understand it's interesting what you're talking about i was doing a, a class yesterday and and i often get one of the examples is to have people to look at the tapestry and to start to look at what's going on in life and say so okay what does race have to do with this situation and we were talking about that could be overwhelming but what you've just demonstrated is that in every aspect of our lives we need to take a look at Where does this come from? Now, obviously, we can't fight every single thing out there, but what we do is we do what we can where we can. And I wanna encourage our listeners to do just that. And I also wanna say this, is that the conversation that we've had today, where we've looked at how white supremacy impacts people of color and black folks in particular, that does not negate that other people have their own suffering and their own oppression. And we're not trying to do that. And I wanna be very clear about that on, on my show in particular and when I try to dismantle racism, because I'm advocating for social justice for people who look like me, does not mean that I want other people out here to be in pain. And I think that that's one of the issues that happens with folks when we're asking them to join in with us and to fight the causes I'm concerned about your pain too. I'm concerned about other groups, but there's an intersectionality most often that we have to look at, no matter what the issues are. There's an intersectionality. So, if we're talking about LGBTQIA issues, there's an intersectionality of race, right? If we're talking about ableism, you know, sexism, whatever it is. And so, I want to just encourage people. And what you've done, Tanisha, is really given us some very clear examples of where white supremacy shows up in the day today that we're looking at with abortion mm-hmm. you know with with when we're looking at education all of these things so we um are so delighted that you've come on the show today we meaning me and my listeners because you've given a lot of us some things to think about before we we close and i ask you to leave us with words of inspiration are there any is there any final comment that you need uh to make that you haven't um said today
1: um i think what i want to leave folks with um is that we do like our ancestors want to rest you know, so I'm my ancestors wildest dreams and I'm out here grind it. That's not what our ancestors actually wanted. They wanted the freedom to decide what to do with their time and their lives. And our work is to cultivate that gratitude and joy and to find the things that nourish us because we deserve that and to take time to take care of ourselves, our bodies, our minds and our spirits and to focus at that place. We do have our work to do in community. Right. We don't need white folks to uphold white supremacy and racism because we mm-hmm. will do that, too. That's why our ancestors knew all skin folk and kin folk. Mm-hmm. And we, we have to deal right. with it, Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. To take care right. of ourselves. That that's how do we how do we survive and then get to thriving? Take care of ourselves. Oh. Go to the doctor, so, smell the flowers, sit in the sunshine, find the joy. Yeah. Yes.
0: So, Tanisha, real quick, tell us how we can get in touch with you, our audience.
1: Um, You can visit the Arise website. It's www.arisespringfield.org. I am on the Twitters uh, at Um, Mm T-A-N-M-A-C-7-8. I am also on uh, Instagram, t.arena. I'm not not hard to track down. (laughs) <laughs> and I welcome well, I, I, and connection because it's, it's going to take a community to do this work.
0: Yes. Well, I want to thank you. I think those words were your, your actual words of inspiration because they inspired uh, us as well. And so I want to thank you for being a guest on my show today. It has been a privilege. I want to thank the listening audience. And I do want to encourage you, tell folks about us. Tell folks about the Dismantle Racism show and the work that we are doing. I want to invite you to stay tuned for the Conscious Consultant Hour with Sam Leibowitz, where he helps you to walk through life with the greatest of ease and joy. Be well, be safe, be encouraged. Until next time, bye for now.